Hello and welcome to the Copenhagen Legal Tech Lab podcast, where we address innovation and the law from three angles, people, technology and business. My name is Leonard van Rompe and today we're here at the law faculty, uh, University of Copenhagen, together with Professor Henrik Palmer Olsen. Welcome. Thank you very much. So today we're going to talk about automation and artificial intelligence and how we can use those uh, new technologies uh, to make our work as lawyers uh, easier. And we're going to try and talk about specific applications, specific um, uses of those technologies. And uh, and Henrik, you're going you're gonna to talk to us a little bit about the work you do in that field. Uh, so first, the first thing I'd like to us to talk about is um, how do we do, how do we use automation and AI to do legal research? So you, some applications, you could look at this like from legal tech and creating a new technologies for practicing lawyers or in-house counsels and so on. But in other words, like how can you actually use AI to do legal research, to create new knowledge about the legal system? Thank you very much, first of all, for the invitation and uh, also thank you for this excellent question, uh, which I'll try to answer the best I can. Um, <clears throat> what AI uh, is particularly good at is uh, digesting a lot of information uh, and they can do that uh, much faster and in a much larger extent than human beings can do. And so um, what AI can do is that uh, it can help us to get an overview of a large amount of information that we would not be able to digest manually. That is, we would not have the time or the energy to read through it all. And I'd like to give uh, an, an example. Uh, when we study, for example, uh, human rights law, we study judgments uh, from the European Court of Human Rights. And uh, that court has handed down uh, tens of thousands of judgments, much more than we can really uh, read. What AI can do for us is that it can read through, organize and come up with various propositions for how these cases are related to each other. Uh, so if we are interested in uh, knowing something about uh, case law in a specific field, say uh, on fair trial, for example, and specific parts of uh, Article 6, then we can use Article 6 of the, uh, Article Convention six of the of European the... Convention on Human Rights, exactly. Uh, then we can, uh, by just finding uh, an entrance, uh, then we can be fed uh, many relevant cases and we can actually track the history of the court's uh, decision-making. And in that sense, we can have uh, much more information about their practice than we would be able to have just manually. Yeah, because it takes way too long, it's too much effort, it's too much concentration, it's too much time for a human being to be able to look back and to, was it, like 30, 40, 50 years of, uh, of, um, of cases at, uh, at, the European, at the Court of, of uh, the European Court of Human Rights? Exactly. And uh, if, if you see uh, a lot of research that is being done here uh, without AI, that is just manually tracking the case law, you will see that often uh, research is built around uh, very few cases so we get only few uh, selected cases selected by the researcher 
the one that the researcher uh, wants to show us, but we don't get a complete overview of the practice. So I think uh, AI can help us to empirically ground our research in a way that is much more thorough than what can be done by just selecting a few exemplary cases. So I know that you work at um, iCourts, uh, which is one of the leading centers in the sociology of of uh, international courts. And I know that your colleagues have been doing a lot of work on, the, on that topic, um, True. Uh, analyzing those, those court decisions. So you're, you're throwing some big shade on them there, telling them that they've been using the, they've only been analyzing the, the, the one judgments about everything, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the problem with uh, not using AI and just taking a qualitative approach to this research is that you see in some sense only the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there will typically be an, a number of uh, judgments that will be circulating in the research community. But a, a, lo a lot of case law goes much further than that, and they are often not seen by those researchers. So in that sense, AI and automation could help us generate better quality research that is less uh, biased and that is more holistic and maybe... Uh, uh, doesn't just focus on the edge cases that uh, human beings have pre-selected. That's very interesting. But staying in that field of, and that question of um, using AI and automation in the, in the legal system, in the judiciary system, um, do courts, do you know any courts, do you know any system that's used in the judiciary helping judges to make decisions? Because what you're talking about right now is like helping researchers do better research on the, on the European court. Uh, but do you know of judges or uh, courts using AI and automation? No, I don't know about any. Uh, I have heard that there are developments uh, going on in China uh, where some Chinese courts allegedly... Uh, but I don't have any documentation for that, uh, we'll be testing out AI. And I have also heard some talks, again, allegedly, that uh, precisely the uh, European Court of Human Rights uh, would start to introduce an AI to assess whether or not uh, an application should be forwarded uh, to the court or whether it should be dismissed outright. So that's that's very few cases, but you think it's a good idea using AI in uh, in court? No, in, in general, I don't think that uh, courts should be using AI. Um, as I said before, what AI does really well is that uh, it it digests a lot of cases. Um, so if you have, if you want to use AI, I think you should be using it more in specialized contexts where you have many repetitive cases. Uh, this is what AI is particularly good at. But many, many courts are um, based on general jurisdiction, so they deal with many different kinds of cases. Yeah, right. Uh, and in, the, in, the, in the lowest level of courts in Denmark, uh, a judge in the same day might see like, a, uh, I don't know, like a tense divorce case and then, uh, uh, I don't know, a burglary or maybe not because that's a criminal uh, matters, but they might they, be they judging see criminal on cases too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so they they will have all kinds of cases. Uh, they will have like uh, taxation cases. They will have criminal cases. They will have divorce cases. Uh, they will have uh, IP rights cases. Et and that's all the one same judge in the one same day. Uh, yeah, but in very diverse uh, legal problems that they deal with, um, and AI is not that good 
in, for that. Uh, where AI can really be helpful is more if you have like administrative tribunals, for yeah. example, which deal with more specialized cases and yeah. repetitive cases over a long period of time. Yeah, tell us more about that. Like, what's good automation and what's uh, bad automation in the wider workings of justice, if not in the judiciary system? I think that uh, good automation is partial automation. Uh, I don't believe that it would be a good idea to have fully automated legal decision making. So a robot making decisions at court, right? Yeah, that would that, that would that, not that, work. That, that would not work. But what you can do is that you can automate certain steps in the decision-making process. Um, for example, as we are doing in the Legalese project I'm involved with, uh, the legal information retrieval step in uh, making a decision in a case is something that you could do. So that would be, for instance, caseworkers working on, what, like social welfare, and they, they're working on their cases and they get some kind of help from the system? Yeah, so uh, the Legalese project that I'm involved with is uh, based on a grant from uh, the Innovation Foundation, uh, Grant Solutions. Uh, and uh, we have uh, <clears throat> collaboration with the Social Appeals Board. They receive complaints from citizens all over Denmark, uh, citizens who have had their application rejected by their municipality where they live. And so uh, the Social Appeals Board have to make a decision about whether to overrule uh, the municipality decision or whether to send it back to the municipality for renewed consideration or whether they will just overrule the complaint and uh, then the municipality decision will stay. So there are like three different outcomes. And uh, there's a, they have very specialized offices at the Social Appeals Board. So they have an office of uh, caseworkers, maybe 20 or 30 caseworkers, who look at the same kind of cases every single day. For example, families who have uh, children with functional disabilities, there you can apply for uh, various social services, and they have to make decisions in these cases. And they have an archive of thousands of decisions. And it's very important to the Social Appeals Board that the decision-making is coherent uh, and that they treat people who have the same kind of uh, functional, social functional disabilities in their families are treated equally. So for them, it's a great help to see previous decisions, previous case law from the Social Appeals Board and relate to that when they make a new decision. And the system, like the, your, the, the system you're, you're building, would provide that. It would help that specific organ do those specific decisions in such a better, uh, better way. It, exactly. We have been building a natural language processing algorithm, uh, which helps to match uh, two texts. Uh, so we have like a similarity score that we develop. And so when you have a new case, uh, this case consists of texts in the form of the municipality decision and the complaint from the citizen. And then we match this text to similar text in previous cases. And where you have the biggest match, those previous decisions will be sent forward to the caseworker. Okay, that's really interesting. And I think that... Some of the questions that pop up when we are discussing AI and automation is uh, this concept of explainable AI. Uh, because to a certain sense, like 
the appeals court that you just mentioned, if it's caseworkers um, use AI and that leads to new decisions being made, there not there like a need to explain exactly what your system did and how it worked? Or more generally, like what is, um, how important is explainable AI? Do we need explainable AI? Do we particularly uh, need explainable AI in the legal system? It's a really, really good question and, and very interesting. I, I would like to uh, say a little bit about that um, because there are often this uh, fear of the black box in AI. But what I uh, like to say is that uh, humans are also black boxes. We have a conversation here today, but I cannot see what you think. And you cannot see what I think. No, the only thing we can do is uh, explain ourselves, ch- share our thoughts about how we d- decide exactly. and think. And how and so do we on, right? do that? We communicate through language. Mm. And so we can have written language or spoken language. And in law, we talk about written language. So an explanation is really just a text uh, which I'm sending to you where I explain the decision to you. And if you use... Which is also what judges do when they write their decisions, right? Which is what judges do. It's the only thing we can do. I mean, an explanation in law can only be in the form of a written text. And you can, of course, also query the caseworker. I might give you an explanation and then you will come back to me with a follow-up question, for example. And so, again, the medium is always text and we can communicate. Natural language processing is computers who generate text... And as I was mentioning in, in our example, what we do here is that we, we mostly refer to previous decisions, previous case law, and uh, these are then used as inspiration for caseworkers. But we've always done that in law. Uh, even without AI, if you ask a caseworker, you know, how they work is often when they get a new case, they ask, have we had such a case before? Mm. Um, this is how practice works yeah. you you always try to some sense you imitate what you know and then maybe you sprinkle it with a bit of uh, new creativity this is how you get dynamic uh, into the law and this is this is exactly what what we're doing here the only thing is that we have ability to more systematically coherently and faster um, look through the previous case law and find better and more relevant matches than what you would be able to do manually. So this, I think, is the re- real advantage. And, and I don't think that in this kind of setup, you can ask for any more explanation th- than what you already get. Right. So bonus question. Yes. Can lawyers teach engineers about explainability then? Or do we, maybe, do we have the, the answer as lawyers to this uh, tough question of explainable AI that the engineers have been missing all this time? Well, yes and no, because the answer is already existing in legal text, which is out there. There is already so much legal text out there, which, you know, so many decisions have been made, which, which are explainable and which meet the legal standards of explainability. So all you have to do is that you have to understand what an explanation is in law. 
and then you can teach machines also to provide this kind of, of explanation. Yeah, because when we talk about explainable AI from a technical angle, it's been a lot of math, right? Yes. And it's like, uh, it's a lot of numbers and complicated formulas and algorithms. And that doesn't explain to you uh, why your request to have a, um, that doesn't that doesn't explain why you as a parent of a functionally disabled child have seen your, your request uh, denied for uh, for welfare, right? Uh, if you, if you, if you, if you if you depend on this for a living for for surviving and feeding your child and you get a no and then you ask the caseworker um, uh, why they made that decision and they come up with a complex uh, math formula it's not going to help anyone uh, feel better and um, feel vindicated or feel that the justice system is working right exactly I mean it's very important for a legal system to be recognizable to citizens because the the whole Legal system is there for them. Uh, so it's no good to alienate citizens by just showing them a piece of computer code when they ask for an explanation of why they were denied uh, a certain service. So if I understand correctly, and, um, and hopefully that helps us wrap it up, um, explainable, like mathematical explainability, that doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't help anyone with any kind of AI maybe particularly if it's applied to the legal system. Um, but if we do want to make explanations, then we have to focus on written text, on uh, uh, discourse, and that's provided by who? The human beings who use the systems? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, uh, mach machine learning, which works with texts and digest texts, I mean, use human language, uh, and reproduces that and puts it together in, in new new ways and new forms. But but that is the the source which they operate with is human text. Um, so so I can't see it in any other way. Right. Uh, but but of course I mean it's not to say that research into explainable AI in the sense of computer scientists who want to understand how machine learning algorithms work is very useful. I mean, remember that uh, machine learning is being used for all sorts of purposes and not only in law. So to be able to understand how a machine learning algorithm works and, you know, trying to understand why it provides the kind of outcomes that it, it does yeah, is yeah. a very worthy and important research topic. It's just one that's for research and not for actual applications. I, I think at least uh, in the context of law, it it doesn't make much sense to have these kind of exp explanations, but it is well worth, as you mentioned, for research purposes and to be better to understand better how these algorithms work. But it's not something that is useful in a, in a practical legal context where we must communicate with uh, citizens in their language. Thank you so much, Henrik, for being here with us today. Um, it was a lot of fun during this episode on AI and automation for you out there listening to us. Thank you for your time and please hit that subscribe, like button, whichever, share it with your friends and your colleagues, uh, maybe your kids if they're old enough. And this was the Copenhagen Legal Tech Lab uh, with Henrik Palmer and I'm Leonard Farompe. Thank you very much. This is Copenhagen Legal Tech Lab podcast at the Faculty of Law of the University of Copenhagen. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media and your favorite podcast platform.